Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. You know, people say they're having fun in radio. I actually have fun in radio. Not every day. Today's a good day. I'm the man of the hour. I get it. Not loved by all. Hated by some. Loved by most. But I've been doing it a long enough time where I can do what I want. 25 years, 26 years is a long time to do anything. And today we're going to have a little fun open mic to mic is the show. But it's going to be unscreened. You don't have to go through gym. Poor Jim is there, but I think he can just have a pizza, but there aren't any pizzas. And if you want to get onto the show and talk to more people than you'll meet for the rest of your life, uh, no matter how long you live, the phone number is 855-400-728. But if you think I'm just going to blow hot air, you're wrong. I'm going to talk about the coronavirus. I'm going to talk about how world trade opened the spread of epidemics. I'm going to give you the history of uh, some of the epidemics going back to ancient China and ancient Rome. But not right away. I'm going to talk about how merchant shipping and trading links uh, spread epidemics and what it did to societies in the past. And if you think it's over, you're mistaken. I know we all want to reopen. And I've been calling for reopening on a rolling basis. Good idea. But please be careful. I mean, I went to the supermarket this morning early, 7 o'clock. I just couldn't sleep. I was up at 4 or 5. I don't know when. I go to sleep so early. Now, how much Netflix can you watch? I mean, I watched Fauda last night. I saw one and two and about the Israeli you know, operations and this and that. It's pretty good. Pretty good. The martial arts are fast. The Cobb McGraw. I never saw such quick motions because some of the actors were in the Israeli special forces. The, the thing I like about Fauda the most 
is that it shows the Palestinians as human beings as well. And you develop a sympathy for both sides of that tragic dance to the death there in the Middle East. And you get to see the beauty of the Palestinian people, the beauty of the Israeli people, and the horrors of both, and how they're both capable of murderous acts. It's very well done in Israeli series Foutus. I watched it, you know, and then I went to sleep early, got up, went to the market right after they opened. It's like, like a Halloween show. I felt like I was at, it was like the Phantom of the Opera, man. You walk around there, I had a hood on and the mask. And the funny part is you can't see anyone's face. And it becomes like a weird, the Phantom of the Opera shopping in the California area now in San Francisco. And the beauty is if you're an older guy, they can't see the gray hair and the gray beard if you're wearing a hoodie and a mask. All I can see are your eyes. I got a lot of looks, I'm going to tell you. I don't know what it was. Maybe they thought I was like the Unabomber. But then they have like arrows going down aisles. You got to go one way. I made a wrong turn. I almost collided. Then another woman turned down my aisle. So I got a little hostile. Hey, oh, wrong way. You know, like they need traffic cops in the aisles. But I saw a weird thing. I got mad. I saw a guy, I swear to you, on his knees next to the bread section. And California, in San Francisco, we have some of the best bread in the world. Lucky, great bakeries. And I like a sweet baguette. This bum was on his knees opening up every package of Italian and French bread to look inside with his snout in there. He didn't even have a mask. He was an old white guy. I wanted to say something that I wanted to do something. And I said, don't, because he's crazy. And you don't need an interchange right now. So I said to a clerk, there's a guy opening every bread. She said, oh, my God, that's terrible. By the time she got over, he had opened every bread and left. Who knows what else he opened up there? Was he snotting on the, on the, on the lettuce? There, you know, there are sickos out there. Just sickos in the market. Oh, what are you going to do? It's open mic to Mike Friday, 855-407-282. The Lone Ranger is back. And uh, if you want to talk about any topic, including the New York Times article, I know it's on the mind of many people. Some like it, some don't like it, some don't understand it. Uh, that's fine. Phone number is 855 It's unscreened today. We're going to have an open mic to Mike Friday. So I want to talk first about how world trade opened the spread of epidemics. You go back to Roman and Han empires, and you will learn that they were self-sufficient in all of their essential commodity needs. And if there was any foreign trade at all in these ancient societies, it was a luxury trade a luxury trade that was marginal to their everyday needs. However, foreign trade, even in ancient times, contributed to cultural interchange and to the spread of the great world religions, especially Christianity, obviously, and Islam, as a result of trade. That's how it happened. However, there were other less fortunate consequences, particularly the spread of disease as a result of the world trade routes. Uh, the spread of disease and pestilence. For example, there were early epidemics like that which devastated Athens in 430 to 29 BC. It just knocked Athens out. And it may have been transmitted by armies. But their incidence after about 100 BC tells us that both in West and East, they were carried by caravans or merchant shipping from India or tropical Africa. No one really knows the precise character of these diseases, but they fall into two main groups of epidemics. 
smallpox or measles and bubonic plague. There's no doubt if you study these things that they had devastating effects on vulnerable populations. The Chinese historian Su Ma Kuang wrote of the epidemic of AD, AD 317. He said, quote, one or two out of 100 survived. Now, you hear what I just said? The death rate wasn't 2%. The death rate was 98%. He said one or two out of 100 survived in those days. Well, who knows how accurate it was, but he means an awful lot of them died. And incidentally, later historians have attributed the um, inability of both China and of Rome to withstand the barbarian onslaughts of the 4th and 5th centuries to the sharp fall in manpower, meaning soldiers, caused by imported pestilences. And, you know, that reminds me of what went on on the aircraft carrier, USS Teddy Roosevelt, where this great captain, a wonderful captain, a hero captain, tried to appeal to the Defense Department, went to his superiors who ignored him. Men were getting, men and women were getting sick of the coronavirus on his aircraft carrier. And as a good captain, he cared about his his crew. And what the bum above him did was chastise him and fire him. Now, many of you misinterpreted that. Oh, he broke the chain of command. He broke the chain of command. He's like stupid, man. Stop being such dumb followers of following orders like Adolf. I'm going to remind you of something. The ship itself, the Theodore Roosevelt, has a namesake called Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt, ironically, did the exact same thing during a campaign off the coast of Cuba at the turn of the 20th century when his men were being devastated by an epidemic of yellow fever that was uh, rife and rampant, rather, in, uh, in Cuba. And uh, the upper management of the Navy would not listen to Roosevelt when the men were dropping like flies. So what did Teddy Roosevelt do? He went to the Associated Press with his story in order to get some attention. And thus the ship was removed from Cuba, sparing other members of the crew of yellow fever. Well, this captain here of our Theodore Roosevelt aircraft carrier did the same thing. They wouldn't listen to him because that's how some military commanders are. They don't want they want to sweep problems under the rug. They're bureaucrats. So now he gets fired. The guy who fires him then gets fired for being a bigger schmuck than you can imagine. He not only fires the captain to cover his tracks. He flies to Guam and gives a lecture aboard the ship to the, the other men and women. And he, he puts down the captain saying he was never fit for command. He was too stupid. Now, I'm going to give you an example of what, what was really involved here. The captain of our Theodore Roosevelt, in order to be the captain of an aircraft carrier, I've always known this. That's why I admire these men. You first have to be a naval, a, a naval aviator, which means he flew hot jets often on aircraft carriers while his commander was a helicopter pilot or had been a helicopter pilot. Nothing wrong with that. But a helicopter pilot is not a naval aviator. A naval aviator is in a class of their own. Everybody knows that. And there's no doubt that this putz above him was jealous of him and was afraid that the commander of the, of the Theodore Roosevelt was going to replace him, which he should have, by the way. And I hope that when the dust settles, our defense secretary, who said he's going to review the case, winds up making the commander, the captain of that aircraft carrier who was fired, 
much higher up in the naval command of, of the military. That's where he belongs. And incidentally, as a side note, he's a local boy. He went to Santa Rosa High School here, the captain of that. Uh, I didn't know the man personally, but, you know, he's a local guy. He went to uh, the local high school here, Santa Rosa High School, and worked his way up in the Navy, naval aviator, captain of this aircraft carrier. Very few men are capable of such leadership to uh, run an aircraft carrier, and it was a great loss to this Navy. But, you know, it goes all the way back again. Forces can be depleted by disease. And right now, our Navy doesn't look like it's immune from the coronavirus, you see. Now, on Monday and Wednesday, when I was on the air, I did shows that I thought were important. One of them was my monologue on China, where the summary is simple. No, China did not deliberately sicken the world. It makes no sense, I said. I asked you, would Z cripple China's economy and start internal unrest? I then concluded the idiotic xenophobia that is now circulating on the right is actually shocking. Okay, shocking to me. I said that and many of you got, got, you know, took umbrage with my statement. But it is kind of idiotic to believe that Z would have done this on purpose. And we wake up this morning and we find out that China's economy has tumbled to a, a low level, a level it hasn't seen in over 50 years. And many of you are still so into conspiracy saying, oh, it's nothing compared to the overall economy. He would do it to sacrifice a portion of his economy just to destroy us. It makes no sense at all. No sense whatsoever. Yes, we are at war. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a trade war with China. They're in a spying war. We're, we're in a spying war with China. But stop with the war on with the virus. He wouldn't have released it on purpose. The best theory I can see out there is that they're working on a uh, biowarfare agent and it escaped the laboratory, period, end of story. A mixture, of, by the way, of a bad virus and some other components uh, that any uh, virologist could probably tell you better than I could, but it's not a pure out bat virus at all. It's a hybrid. So they spliced some genes by what I put together with some HIV components and made a real Lulu out of it, boy. They made one that's rapidly transmissible and deadly, incidentally. So please don't think that now that they're saying, okay, we're going to go back to, we're not going back to normal. We're not, not doing it overnight. It's going to be a little slower than you want for good reason. And um, what's going to happen is there are going to be a lot of people getting sick and die. And they're going to blame Donald Trump for it for reopening too soon, which is the stupid which is what you'd expect from his enemies. But it's a calculated risk, and it's a risk that the nation and the West has to take, or there'll be no West to go back to. Yes, there's going to be some disease, and there's going to be some dying. And yes, the yellow journalism will flare it up and say Trump did it. He should have listened to Dr. Slouchy and, and, and Dr. Scoff and not reopened at all. Never, never reopened. Listen to the idiot bureaucrats from the NIH and the CDC who never worked a day in their life. They've been career careerists. Their whole life, they've been inside a bureaucracy. They've never really created a product or a service that anyone ever needed. Think about that. Dr. Slouchy has never been in the private sector. Dr. Slouchy went right from medical school deep into the bowels of uh, the uh, the NIH, and he never came out of it. And how he survived 40 years is a product of his political savvy. He's a politician with a stethoscope. That's what he really is. He's just a politician with a stethoscope. And here he survived all these years. And the mistake here is that Trump listened to him. Dr. Slouchy is not the most reliable character on the planet. 
If you look back in Dr. Slouchy's history, you will see that he messed up the AIDS epidemic grandly. Uh, as Dr. Scoff is the worst of them all. Imperious, breezy, sounds like a smart housewife from Marin County who knows nothing and says things that are preposterous, as you would expect from a woman of that uh, of that level. So, no, we don't want to listen to them. There are probably some smarter people inside these bureaucracies who know the middle way. They know the middle ground. These careerists don't. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Now, more than ever, it's really important to take care of yourself and avoid unnecessary trips to the doctor, chiropractor, masseuse. Social distancing having an effect on everything these days. And nothing is more important right now than keeping your body healthy and pain-free. All right, so if you're sitting at home suffering from aches and pains from arthritis, backaches, muscle soreness, joint pain, and you want to try a drug-free solution, then you owe it to yourself to try the product that you're probably hearing about across so many podcasts. What is it? CryoFreeze CBD Pain Relief Roll-On is an all-natural topical pain reliever that instantly ices out the pain with a one-two punch of super-cold menthol and hemp CBD. Simply roll CryoFreeze onto your back, neck, hands, and any other painful areas to help block the pain. Reduce inflammation and improve muscle and joint flexibility. CryoFreeze contains 10 powerful ingredients that combine to provide a powerhouse dose of relief, which can last up to eight hours. It's much longer than any other roll-on. Try CryoFreeze today and learn why so many people have rated it five stars and have written so many letters thanking Omax for the life-changing relief they're getting from this product. Now listen, CryoFreeze was inspired by cryotherapy, which means cold therapy. This treatment exposes the body to cold temperatures in order to numb and reduce pain or inflammation. If you have pain that won't go away, then you qualify for Omax CryoFreeze. Simply roll it over where it hurts and ice out the pain. No messy creams or horrible fragrances like some of those other products. Nope. CryoFreeze works within five minutes of application, improving physical training, recovery, and performance. Please, please go to OmaxHealth.com and please enter code SAVAGE to get your 20% off CryoFreeze and anything on their website. You got it? It's a lot of information, but it's a lot of relief. That's OmaxHealth.com. Enter code SAVAGE. You're going to get 20% off on that and any other product, and you're also going to get the relief you're looking for. OMAXHealth.com, code SAVAGE. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. So the opening monologue was on the history of the spread of epidemics, how they destroyed nations in the past. And don't assume it's over already. I know we want it to be over. We all want to rush back to work and say it was unnecessary. And that you all listen to the Benny Hill of talk radio and you think that he's an MD, PhD who knows more than uh, Lao Tse Tung, uh, Mao Tse Tung uh, about communism and 
more than Lao Tzu about poetry, but uh, not so fast. Some of these uh, some of these Benny Hills of talk radio are now prescribing medicine on air. Unbelievable what's going on, but that's what gets you know that's what the media that's what tabloid media is. You put Benny Hill in front of a microphone and he becomes a, a surgeon. If he makes a mistake and people die, it doesn't matter. You know, if a real surgeon cuts the wrong artery or vein and someone dies, they go to jail. In the radio, if you cut a vein or an artery and people die, nothing happens. Or you buy another 100,000 apartment units with HUD money. The Lone Ranger is back, open mic to mic, COVID New World Order. Welcome to the COVID New World Order where there is no longer a conservative movement. Tell me what the conservative movement stands for now that we now have open socialism, which you thought Bernie Sanders would bring about. Huh? You think about that one yet? Michael Savage, a host like no other. COVID-19. Coronavirus, flu, allergies, what's the difference? They're all different. And uh, sometimes they're confused. We know that. But this one is a an odd one because it is so rapidly transmissible. That is how it's spread around the world so quickly. So don't wipe it away like it's nothing and it's all out to get Donald Trump. Even he knows it wasn't meant just to get Donald Trump. But you're still repeating the party line of last January or February, rather, that it's all out to get Donald Trump. He's not even saying that. And many of you are following with the fumes of the narrative from the February area. Grow up already. Move on. Greg in Michigan, you're the first up on Open Mic to Mike Friday. What's uh, your topic? Oh, my God, Dr. Savage. It's an honor. Hey, long time no speak, known as Mr. Positive on Detroit Radio. Uh, The question I want to ask you, what's the difference between this virus and the flu virus, number one? Number two, does it mutate to something... Yes, it mutates. Yes, it mutates. And that's why a vaccine, which I have said now for a long time, first of all, I will never take a vaccine. I've never taken a flu shot. I never will take a flu shot. The reason is the reason is flu shots are only um, accurate about 50 percent of the time. I mean, they only work. Many people get very sick from flu shots. And the main reason is because flu vaccines are based upon last year's virus not the current virus okay now let's look at COVID-19 it does mutate and what that means for a vaccine is forget about it okay it's every virus mutates now these changes are not always dramatic now the new coronavirus CB9 COVID-19 is an RNA virus ribonucleic acid what does that mean it's a collection of genetic material that is packed inside a protein shell okay we can follow that But RNA viruses like the flu and measles are more prone to changes and mutations compared with DNA viruses such as herpes, smallpox, and HPV. Dioxyribonucleic acid is a double helix. You may remember the double helix imagery. I remember when I was a young student in the 50s when the structure of DNA was first elucidated by Watson and Crick. What a revolutionary day that was in the life of all of us who were studying biology. And they were great geniuses, Watson and Crick were. Okay, so those are RNA viruses. Those do not um, mutate that quickly because they're structurally stronger. DNA is stronger than RNA. RNA is a much weaker 
structure and it's easily uh, mutated. So as uh, the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 makes its way around the world, the virus is mutating into something deadlier and it may even be scarier. It could happen. And we don't know that. So to now say we're going to have a vaccine, uh, Greg, is not 100 percent guaranteed. I hope that I didn't overplay the the depth of um, the explanation, but I think it was pretty easy to follow. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And thanks. 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 Uh, He said, yes, yes, yes. I had to say thanks. 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 Oh, my God. What are we involved with here? Everyone is confused. Everyone is angry. Everyone is enraged. It's like going to the supermarket is like going to an ancient 17th century French ball with bad clothing. I mean, we got the masks with ugly clothing. You know, it's one thing to go to a ball with a mask on. Uh, it's another thing to go in like dirty sweatpants in Marin County. It's un- the dressing horrible. But some people dress up for the going shopping now. They got nothing else to do. Not the men. The men are creeps and slaw. The women dress up for the for the market. I noticed under the ma- some of them put on shoes, outfits. But the men, they get sloppy or dirty. You know, the, the death knell of a man is when he starts, when he stops taking care of himself. No grooming, uh, no polished shoe, dirty pants. And if, if they're living alone, it's even worse. Horrible. Look, let's get serious for one minute. There's so much bunko going on now in the handouts. It's sh- shocking. Let me give you some bunko. Here's a headline that got me nauseous. Big restaurant chains take $30 million in coronavirus loans meant for small businesses. Now, how did that happen? It was not Bernie Sanders in charge of it. No, no, no. Large restaurant chains have gobbled up $30 million in federal loans meant to shore up small businesses during the coronavirus crisis. The companies behind Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, Potbelly Sandwich Shop, big chains, each got sizable loans under the Fed's Paycheck Protection Program. The $349 billion small business aid package that ran out of money Thursday was giving money to these giant chains. Florida-based Steakhouse, Ruth's Hospitality Group, got a deal worth $20 million in loans administered by the U.S. Small Business Administration under the $2.3 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill last month record show. So how did they get it when the little restaurants that I know got got high cock? Nothing. How could large restaurant chains... Get $30 million in federal loans meant to shore up little restaurants and little businesses. How did Ruth's Chris get 20 mil? How did uh, Potbelly Corp get uh, 10 mil? Now, listen to how they scammed it. Uh, I call it a scam. These federal loans were aimed at helping companies with up to 500 employees cover payroll and overhead costs. But guess what happened? Lawmakers, meaning lawbreakers, criminals, In Congress, expanded eligibility for restaurants so that companies could apply as long as they had no more than 500 workers in any single restaurant. Isn't that clever? First, it was meant to help the small restaurant. But then the gangsters smeared out the Congress vermin and they changed the rule. And it said, oh, yeah, we meant 500 as long as there's no more than 500 in any single restaurant. And so these chains got the money. They scobbled up most of the money. So this paved the way for Ruth's and Potbelly, which employ about 5,700 and 6,000 people to dip into the limited pot of money. Government watchdogs cried foul at the fact that such big restaurant firms got through the loan pipeline, while many small restaurants were left waiting for Congress to approve more money for the program. I agree 100% with them. 
A hundred percent. I agree with that. This now I'm not saying that Potbelly and Ruth shouldn't get a, a bailout, but not first online. Not before the small restaurants got a dime of it. I know that the money will be used to financially support the employees that work in these restaurants. And I know that eventually everyone's going to need a handout, which means the dollar is going to be worth less and less and less. But I'm sorry. The small business relief program was supposed to help small businesses, not big. So there's a lot of bunko going on right now. And if you think that it's all happening by accident, my friends, I'm sorry to tell you it's not happening by accident. The same old corruption that we have been living with almost since the beginning of this nation is going on right now. And somebody has to say it. Doesn't somebody have to say it? This is not a left right thing. This is right or wrong thing, you know. 855-400-7282. There's another story I wanted to get to, and you may say, well, it's, it gets a little embarrassing. Well, did you read the New York Times article about me? Raise your hand if you did. Everyone in the country who has any IQ above 110 read the article. No one in San Francisco saw it because it wasn't in the local newspaper. Uh, the local newspaper doesn't exist at all. What, what's odd about it, it was um, published yesterday the new york times uh about me and you know what i say about others in the business i'm not wasn't happy with their, their opinions but it went into what i say rather than what i say about them it's more about what i say and why i'm more qualified to to, to have an opinion on this than the others that's what their opinion is and i of course i agree with them i wouldn't have done the interview in other words the man respects education as as should you so anyway drudge linked it up last night I didn't even know it was until the end of the day. And that, of course, blew it up. Chicago, Chicago paper. And then something odd happened. The SF gate, the SF Chronicle never mentions my name unless they can't avoid it. Because it's the home of Nancy Pelosi and Willie Brown. It's basically their mimeograph sheet. Whatever Nancy wants, Nancy gets. It's her newspaper. She doesn't own it, but she controls it. It has to show her as beautiful, intelligent, the greatest ice cream eater on, on the planet. The most beautiful woman, the smartest woman, the best dancing woman at age 80. The sexiest woman alarm. Probably run a poll in the SF Chronicle showing that Nancy Pelosi is the sexiest woman on earth. The same poll that said that uh, Anthony Fauci is the sexiest man on earth. This shows you how sick these people are. They post the article in the Chronicle linking up the New York Times article. It becomes very popular. And all of a sudden they drop it. And if you do a search now on SF Gate and try to find Michael Savage, you can't even find it. They not only dropped the story, they buried the story completely because there's, there's no press. But anyway, it was read by most people with an intellect of any kind. And that's an important story. If you want to talk about it, give me a call. I wasn't going to make it the whole show, but I know many of you want to talk about. I want to talk about this. I was warning you that the single largest and most vulnerable population in America was not in nursing homes, but amongst the bums in the streets. It's common sense. We already had bubonic plague break out in Los Angeles from the bum communities last year. Bubonic plague was seen in the communities, the bums in the streets. Any sane society would have ended the 10 cities years ago. It could have been done, but the politicians don't have the nerve. Okay, so they let disease fester, drug addiction fester. And what do you think happens? You're not going to believe this story. The CDC is now actively looking into results from universal COVID testing at homeless shelters. 
because they looked into a homeless shelter in Boston South End a week and a half ago because of a small cluster of cases. And look what they found. Of the 397 people bums tested, 146 bums tested positive. That's an enormous amount. But not a single one had any symptoms. What does that mean? It means the bums are carriers. They're infecting the entire city. Listen to what I just said to you. Of the almost 400 bums tested, 146 of them tested positive, and not a single one of the bums had any symptoms. So President of Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program said it was like a double knockout punch. The number of positives was shocking, but the fact that 100% of the positives had no symptoms was equally shocking. No, shh, no kidding, it's shocking, guy. What does that mean? It means that the homeless, a good percentage of them, are carriers. Now, the idiots in San Francisco have put the, the bums in hotels around the city. Tell me what's going to happen in those hotels after they're moved out. You're going to go stay in a hotel where they had bums in there who are carriers? Are you joking? Do you have any idea how this is being mishandled because of politics from the top to the bottom? I do. And I'm going to say something else. A few minutes ago, a caller asked, does the COVID-19 virus mutate? I said, yes, it mutates because it's an RNA virus, not a DNA virus, which is more stable. I told you from the beginning, and I hope I am wrong, but common sense would indicate I may not be wrong. And I hope I'm wrong again, that when COVID-19 gets into the homeless population, which obviously it has, it will mutate by joining with other viruses that are right now happening inside the homeless people and come up with a new Frankenstein that we can't handle. Wait, you'll see. And then they'll say at the CDC something else that they don't know anything about. This could happen. They should have been one of the first communities isolated, quarantined. I said isolate and quarantine the vulnerable communities first. That would be the homeless, number one. Those with underlying conditions, number two. Uh, The aged, number three. People with immune-compromised systems, number four. Uh, Very tight-knit religious communities should have been locked down immediately. And by the way, when I come back, I'm sad to tell you, it's a very sad story, but I have to tell it to you. Because the religious community in New York that was so-called stricken with such a high incidence of this COVID-19, it happened because the rabbis had it backwards. They did it to themselves by not separating from each other, by saying God will protect them. Let me tell you something. If you still think God is going to protect you from this virus, uh, what can I say to you? It's sad. I respect your devoutness. I respect your belief system, but you did it to yourself. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Spans of the spoken word. Welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book. See the movie. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. 
And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Um, you know, there's a, uh, during World War Two, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that uh, you know was totally different than a than the, the it's called he called it the you know the World War Two. He had the war the, the war production board. Well, I don't know why we don't set up something like a pandemic production board. Lauren, now he's on life support. That's why I've been playing Staying Alive. We wish Joe the best. How this man could run for the presidency is not beyond me. That's the Democrat Party. But here's the thing you got to know about this. Whoever he picks for VP is going to be the president within a year. High likelihood, if I was an odds maker, I'd say within a year he's gone. He's already uh, in a nursing home somewhere thinking that he's FDR and then Franklin Delano Roosevelt's grandson. Then another day probably thinks that he's uh, Benny Hill. He's, he's on the easy end of the, uh, the cycle. The cycle. You could hear the, uh, the media. You can hear the tapes running down on him. So let's say he picks Kamala Harris. I want you to understand if he picks Kamala Harris, she'll be president within the year if God forbid he beats Trump. That's why the election is going to be so important. Now, here's the problem. Here's the double problem. America is hurting. America wants to blame someone. And whoever the incumbent is is going to get blamed for this. I don't care how it's I don't care how it's parsed. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care how much we love Donald Trump. He's going to be blamed for it by a good portion of the population. So be very careful who you vote for, because if you vote for Biden, you're not voting for Biden. You're voting for his running mate. And if his running mate is a crazy woman like Kamala Harris, be very, very careful, because then you're going to have the San Francisco mob running this country. And if you want that, that's what you're going to have. Open mic to mic Friday. It's uh, unscreened day, 855-407-282. I want to direct you to uh, my website, michaelsavage.com. I want you to bookmark michaelsavage.com to stay in touch with me now and in the future. You visit michaelsavage.com. It leads you to all things a savage. So welcome now to the COVID New World Order. And I tweeted several things yesterday when I was off. If you read the article, you know, I haven't talked about it. If you read the New York Times article, it had a different headline in the New York Times, and it did in the local paper. Let me read you the headline. Why Michael Savage is blasting Hannity and the right-wing media on the virus. Mr. Savage, the conservative radio host, is still loyal to President Trump, but says right-wing media got it all wrong by doubting the severity of the coronavirus early on, and I'm 100% right. And they show me in my studio, and is written by Jeremy Peters, published yesterday. So today it appears in the print editions, and I went to the supermarket to pick up the print edition of this article. Listen to the headline that they put in the local San Francisco version of the New York Times. They go from that headline to this one. He still taunts Pelosi, but his loudest howls aim at his loudest howls aim at virus doubters. That's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> virus doubters. <laughs> That's a funny way to put it. But they had to work in the name work in Pelosi. The article's the same. And I'm going to read you the back of it. Let me read you the last part of the article. Forget the other hosts for one minute. They're irrelevant. To, to this story. He talks about me having had a heart attack in December. You don't know that, but now it's come out, so I may as well talk about it for a minute. It's a very important story to me. So here's how he closes the article. 
Faced with his own mortality and the, and the slowing down of his professional life, Mr. Savage has sounded sentimental at times. This month, he told his listeners, quote, my career will be defined by how I've treated you, my audience, during this epidemic. We're at war with an invisible enemy, he said, and we're not going to win this war by attacking each other. We're not going to win this war by lying to the people. That says it all. That says it all. That says it all, really. That's what it says. Uh, so my vulnerability is apparently exposed. You know, I never cried on your shoulder, audience. Dear audience, I implied I got sick in December. I told you I was in the hospital in December. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do what some hosts are doing, which is, you know, like pull out the handkerchief and get the violins out. I just didn't. And there's a couple of reasons. One is because I remember when my father got a heart attack way back a long time ago. He warned me not to tell anyone of his customers because they would take advantage of him. I didn't understand that as a teenager. I didn't know what he meant. They did. My father had a little store with merchandise, cantiques in it. So my poor, poor father gets a heart attack. In those days, there was no medical insurance, nothing. He was a sole breadwinner. And the poor guy was in an oxygen tent at Monticello Hospital. Very, very hard on a family when there's a one breadwinner thing. And um, I had to t leave college, which I did, and run the store, which I did. And sure enough, customers came in, and they made believe that they cared about my father. They said, oh, how's Benny? How's Benny? And I would say, you know, I was a kid. I was like 17. I, I, I don't know, 17, 18. So I said, oh, he's okay. He's out of the hospital now. He's home. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, tell him that, that Morty sends his best. Oh, and by the way, Michael. You see that set of bronzes up there on the top shelf? Yeah, yeah, I paid for them. They're mine. Now, I was a kid. Of course, I wasn't that naive that I gave it to the guy. I said, well, I don't know anything about that. No, no. So your father said I could have them. I said, well, I don't know. I have to talk to my father. They were trying to get merchandise for nothing for my father. The same in radio. The minute people hear that you got sick, right away, they're going to call program directors and try to take your job away. That, that's what's going to happen. So I'm sort of on an abbreviated schedule, and I'm going to increase it as I feel better. It, don't think I couldn't if I wanted to. I could, but I'm I'm not I'm not ready to. I want to be make sure that the the healing is is more solid than it is now. And I, I'm not just going to rush it. I'm not going to die for you know for your sins, <laughs> so, so to speak. I, I just want to take it a little a little slower. You may not know this, but three days after I was in the hospital, I was on the radio. Three days later, I went on the radio. Nobody in my radio company knew I had had a heart attack. I didn't tell anybody. And I did a very quiet show. I got sick on December 5th. I think I went on the air that Monday or so. I don't know when, actually. I think I went on. I don't remember. Two, three days later. Luckily, there was a two-week break coming up for the whole Christmas holiday thing. So I got a good two weeks to do nothing. And so, you know, I've altered my diet. I'm on medication, which I hate. Remember now, you know, let me level with you because I'm not going to talk about it again. Many of you had parents who died from heart attacks. Maybe you yourself had one. You know, one day you're going to get one of these things. You're going to get cancer, heart attack. You're going to get something that kills you. That's the way it is. It happens to all of us. So let me just say something to you. I'm not a young man, but in spirit, I'm much younger than most people half my age. That's the truth. Everyone knows that. So I, because my dad died young. He left this earth in uh, 1970, never met my son. It was just horrible. You know, I mean, you lose your parents young. You, you live without a father, you know. So 
Then you look into the grandfather, never met him, died at 47. So I used to hang on like a, 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 a thin line, like say, well, maybe in the old country, they lived long. So eventually, I found out that my great-grandfather lived to 37. So I said, oh, man, I got a bad, bad, bad thing here. The male lineage is awful. And I, so I had young children. And I was afraid I was going to leave them in my 30s. I mean, I've been running with the fear of dropping dead since I'm in my 30s. I'll be honest with you. So what did I do? I went and I got higher degrees and two master's degrees, a PhD. Why? Because I wanted to learn as much as I could about healing and health and where were the longest lived people on earth and what did they do and this and that. You know, I wasn't looking for a fountain of youth. I'm not Ponce de Leon, but I was looking for answers. And I went into the orthomolecular health movement very early on. I was a fanatical dieter. Early on, I was following fanatical diets, and then I modified them slightly. And I was doing really well on my diets. I was really thin. I was like 130 pounds. I was a runner. I wrote for Runner's Magazine. You may not know this. You look up early magazines, you'll see that I wrote for Runner's Magazine. So I gave up running way, way, way back because one day... I was running in the back of a valley here in Marin County. I was really skinny and, you know, fanatical runner. And I was running up a waterfall on a regular basis. Now, remember, I had two young children at the time. and I didn't want to die. So I was eating zero uh, fat, I mean, zero saturated fat and uh, following uh, basically the, the ethnic diets that I was writing about, which were largely grain based, plant based with very little animal protein, and I was in pretty good shape. Uh, and so I'm running up the, the, the waterfall, and I hear a voice go off in my head, not outside, not like a schizo job. Inside my own mind, I hear a voice screaming, stop, 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 stop. So, you know, <laughs> to my own self be true, listen to the still small voice. That voice was saying, stop, and I stopped. I never ran up a waterfall again. In fact, I never ran again. I hate running. I bicycle every day, mildly. I do not run. I don't push my body. I never have. So now let's fast forward this so I don't bore you to death. So this thing happens to me, which I feared. And I say to myself, I was for three months now, I, I was really depressed. January, February, March, January, February, March. Through all of this COVID thing, I've been coping with this. And I feel that I failed myself because I got sick. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I blame me that I got sick. And then one day, about a month ago, I woke up and I said, Michael, don't you realize you're a great success? Your poor father died in his early 50s, your grandfather 40s, great grandfather 30s, God rest their souls. You've done everything right and you pushed it off to your age. You mean you're 77 years old. I'm not going to hide that from you. What, I have to hide everything? You get on radio, you have to hide everything? So I'm not going to open up. Say, so you were a great success. You pushed it off 40 years through what you did. And so it was a great success that I got this far without having had such an incident. Now, one other note, I got to tell you about this. Over the last two years, I started to really get sloppy in my diet and my exercise. I didn't care as much. I was packing on weight. I was eating garbage, really eating, really. I just didn't care. Why? What happened was, is I got lazy and arrogant. I'm going to just lay it on you because you need to hear this. 
We all get the HDL, LDL. We're all experts on that now. We know what it means. LDL, LLDL, HDL, Ishmael, Ishmael, call me Ishmael. But what you don't get is a blood fraction that I was watching for a while that I thought proved I had immunity from a heart attack. And I kept saying, well, you know, I inherited that from my mother who lived to 88. She never got a heart attack. So, you know what? I don't have to be as careful. Then I got really stupid. And I said, if you get to this age without a heart attack, I think you're never going to get one. Boom. God laid me down on my back because you get arrogant. You get arrogant with fate and with God. You get you get knocked on your behind. I'm telling you right now. Just remember, you can't play with your health. And going back to my beautiful mother, what she taught me was health is the greatest wealth on the planet because without health, all the wealth in the world means nothing. I didn't know what that meant as a kid. You know, kids all want to roll in gold. They all want money and they want the fancy stuff. That's what kids want. I didn't understand that because when you're a kid, if you're healthy, you think that you're never going to get sick. So she said, without health, without health, the wealth means nothing. Well, there's a great truth to that. But thank God it wasn't that much of a killer. It didn't kill me. It wasn't a widowmaker job. And I never took drugs. Remember, I used to boast to you. I made this far. I did it all on vitamins, nutrition. Well, if I had followed my own advice for those last two years before I got sick, I wouldn't have gotten sick. One other element I must tell you about this is so important. I'm not going to talk about it again. I may never, ever mention this again. I don't even know where this came from. I didn't intend to. But it's one of those Fridays that it happened. We're an audience and a, and a guy who runs a radio show or have an intimate relationship. Okay, so I'm a fanatical vitamin taker. I'm an orthomolecular medicine person. I was in the orthomolecular medical society with my dear friend, Dr. Richard Cunyon and Dr. Cathcart and some of the brightest minds of our time that you ever met in your life. They were so far ahead of their time on so many things. And we go every Tuesday night, blah, blah, blah. So I've been taking a lot of different nutrients. And one of them that I took was vitamin E, but not ordinary drugstore vitamin E. I was taking mixed tocopherols from one of the best companies in the country. I'm not going to name it. Mixed tocopherols, not alpha tocopherol, mixed tocopherol. So why, why was I taking so much vitamin E, 400 units a day? Why? Because there's a study for the 1950s by the Shute brothers, two MDs from Harvard, who proved definitively that vitamin E could prevent heart attacks. So I've been on vitamin E. What happened was last September, October, I got so wrapped up with trying to save my radio career, which I will not go into now that I forgot to rebuy the vitamin E. I didn't bother. I didn't have the time. It's, you got a special order. It does not sold in stores. I went to the grocery store, the regular. I got plain vitamin E, which I was hardly taking. I am convinced that because I stopped taking the vitamin E, mixed the cough rolls, as I've been taking for over 20 years, my artery that occluded, occluded primarily because of that. And that's the end of this story. Thanks for listening. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. He criticized sweeping quarantine measures and lockdowns as a threat to individual liberty and called for them to be eased in places with lower infection rates, siding with the protesters who have gathered in state capitals across the country in recent days in a show of opposition. Again, that's the article in the New York Times. It's 100% accurate. And uh, then he goes into the all mortality thing and, and et cetera. I, I don't want to read into it. Savage's wife in an interview that she had noticed more compassion in her husband since his heart attack. First, I heard of it. 
And, and then she's quote, she never gave an interview in her entire life with me, ever, private person. But she did for this particular article. So look, when I come back, I want to play a little bit of the other stuff as well. I got great callers, Robert and Virginia, I'll get to you, and Donna in New York on Cuomo, and those of you who want to talk about what's going on. I mean, the conservative movement is dead. I haven't gotten into that. It's over. I don't know what the, 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 the clowns are going to tell you. Tell me what you're fighting for. One, two, three, four. What are you fighting for? Tell me what you're fighting for. Where's, where's the difference now between Republican and Democrat? Who's spending more? The only difference is, is who's, a, who's a bigger socialist. The conservative movement is dead. Don't you agree with me? Oh, you don't, huh? Michael Savage, a host like no other. It is the Savage Nation. So I got a tweet from a Michael McAllister. It says, Michigan and Ohio to reopen county by county. And he says, hmm, where have I heard that before? They won't even have the decency to call it the Michael Savage plan. I don't need the credit. <laughs> I put it on Twitter. I try to advise the president. I try to advise the governor of California. I sent them a state-by-state breakdown. I showed them which counties had zero or no cases of COVID-19. And I said, please open them. It doesn't have to be one size fits all. It's, it's a stupid to make counties in Northern California that have no cases locked down because of a high incidence in San Francisco. But they didn't listen to me. They want a one size fits all. And the reason is they're politicians and they don't want to be called racist or this is or that is. So if Governor Newsom were to open the counties in California to have no cases or almost no cases and let these people breathe and get back to life and then slowly open them up like that, what would happen? Oh, the the illegal alien community, the SEIU would scream it's racist because it's mainly people of color who are locked down in San Francisco. See, this is what they would do to him. This is what happens when politics trumps common sense. This is what happens when politics trumps Trump. This is what happens. This is what happens when politics trumps medical common sense. Of course, you open a county by county. I've been calling for it for month, two months now to no avail. So all I can do is put out my ideas and um, be on this show as often as I can. And I'm going to take some callers now. That's all. Tavares in Georgia. Welcome to the Savage Nation. What's on your mind, Tavares? Yes. Custodus, ipso custodus. Who will watch the watchers? President Savage, you will watch the watchers. I want to make three quick points. And I get well, well, you learned that from me, I'm pretty sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Exacto mundo. President Savage, we want to thank you for all your hard work and the painstaking effort you put into educating the American people, sir. Well, you know what? I took this call knowing you were going to say it. I see it on the screen. But truthfully, it is a big struggle to... I, I, no, look, Tavares, people have said to me, why don't you just retire? Why should I retire? Why? I still have a, I have, I have a reason to live. My reason to live are callers like you, Tavares. That's my reason to live. We used to be upset with you when you missed days, but now we understand. You're fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah. People, I didn't want to start apologizing, rather explaining it, uh, why. But um, until I feel ready, I'm not going back to a five-day schedule. I have some really great guys who fill in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And um, until I feel that I'm not going to kill myself on this show, that's what I'm going to be doing, you know. Thanks, you, Tavares. Thanks to you, Tavares. 
Thanks to you, Tavares. Uh, it's a nice picture of me. I like that picture. The radio host, Michael Savage, who draws 7.5 million listeners each week, was an early supporter of President Trump, but he has diverged from Trump loyalists on the danger of the virus. That's right. It's a good distinction. But if you look at that picture of, uh, that they took, the, uh, uh, the reporter brought a photographer named Jason Henry. You know, there is a difference between a professional photographer, by the way, and a person with an iPhone. What a difference. Look what he caught in that picture. I looked at it myself. I said, look at the picture of my home studio. On the top left, there is a cloth dog, his master's voice dog in there in the shelf, right? Then look on the right side of the picture. There's this famous picture of Muhammad Ali knocking out Sonny Liston. Liston is on his, on his back. That's a very inspiring picture for me, right? We all want, want to be warriors. Don't we all want to be a warrior? Don't we all want to be a warrior? And then if you look really carefully in my bookshelf, there's two little plastic figures of medieval warriors with axes going out to war. Interesting. Just look carefully. I hope there's nothing embarrassing in the picture. Got to be careful. There's orange juice and grapes on a table. That was good. What if there was like pork rinds and stuff and a cigar? I don't smoke. Nah, it isn't. So that's life. So here we are. Here we are. What do you want me to talk about? The Presidio Trust, the oversight, but I'm not on it yet. It was announced, but I haven't really joined yet. It's not an official announcement. It was like the president intends to appoint Michael Savage to the Presidio Trust, but it's not been official yet. It says the announcement was easy to overlook because it listed Mr. Savage by his legal name. All right, that's that's true. So it was like a self, a stealth appointment. I'd like to do that one. But I don't know how we're going to meet. How do we meet at these things? You can't go to dinners, nothing. You can't have a good meeting. Seven and a half million a week. I don't know how many people. How, does it really matter how many people you have a week? Does that really matter? I have a devout, loyal audience that's been with me for a very long time. And it's my community. It's my neighborhood. It's Michael Savage's neighborhood. <laughs> to take off on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. In San Francisco, do you know that I'm probably the most prominent voice in the media? I don't know anyone bigger. I'm the only national host. I'm the only local talk show host who ever made it nationally. And the people appreciate it. Even if they're liberals, I, they, I become like a brother, a cousin, an uncle, a father that was in their family or wasn't. They don't have anymore. I'm like the guy in the family that they used to have in the family. I guarantee you, as I talk to you, some of the biggest liberals in San Francisco tune into the show every day. Why? Because I remind them of what they really think inside, other than the act they have to put on. Or I remind them of the father they left behind in Baltimore, or the father that they left behind in Chicago, or the father they left behind in Mississippi. Because I, I think like a traditional American, and they actually need me to remind them what the average American still thinks. They're not getting it from their, from their cohorts, because they all say the same thing to each other. And that takes me to the other side. And on the other side, there's too much self-congratulation as well. That we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. We're the patriots, they're the bums. It's not that simple, unfortunately. It's just not that simple because there's so many people in the military who are liberals. There are so many people in the police world who are liberals. And you can't say what, they're not patriots? There are people who put their lives in the line who are still social liberals. What are you going to do? You, you, it doesn't fit. There's no cookie cutter to this anymore. And what I'm trying to do at this point is what I've been trying to do for a long time. Look, how have I defined myself? I was never a Republican. Never. I have defined myself since 94 as an independent conservative. Actually, as an independent. 
right? But I began as a social worker in New York. I just learned what, what liberalism did to me and did to society. I learned what affirmative action did to me and did to society. I saw complete dummies given jobs they never should have had. I saw the universities melt down from great universities to less than lukewarm and to worthlessness in so many departments. I, I mean, I'm trying to warn you. And then, of course, my motto, borders, language, culture. No one's defined a nation. No one has defined a nation or the definition of a nation better than I have in the history of the world. I have searched and I've never found a better definition of how do you define a nation. Nobody could define it better than that. And if I'm remembered for anything, it'll be borders, language, and culture. You can call me a shock jock if you want to be a moron, but it's more a reflection of your stupidity than it is the definition of me. I'll tell you that right now. So you could call me a philosopher. You know, I would be, if you wanted to put me in a category, you want to put me into a neat box. I'm thinking now, like writing my own, my own autobiography on it. There was a book years ago called The True Believer by Eric Hoffer, which I first introduced to the radio um, a couple of years ago. It was copied by the copycats. And Eric Hoffer was a longshoreman who was a thinker, a philosopher. He was a commonsensical man who looked at the world. And I think he wrote one book, The True Believer, The Thoughts on the Nature of Mass Movements. It was a huge bestseller in its time. 1951, wow, before my time, really, of, of thought. And um, he, he wrote about the uh, rise of, of, of mass movements and how mass movements arise and how it doesn't matter what the mass movement is, whether it's fascism or communism, it's driven by the same forces. And he talked about the role of the undesirables in human affairs. And he talks about who becomes a member of a mass movement. And he talks about fanatics and good and bad mass movements. And it's, a, it's an interesting book. And um, he equally, he analyzed equally Hitler and Stalin and the mass movements in America. Religious movements are mass movements, by the way. And he goes to the same mass movements from Moses to Hitler in one sentence. He says, the mass movement leader from Moses to Hitler draws his inspiration from the sea of upturned faces and the roar of the mass is as the voice of God in his ears. <laughs> he sees an irresistible force within his reach, a force he alone can harness. And with the force, he will sweep away empires and armies and all the mighty present. The face of the mass is as the face of the deep out of which like God in the day of creation, he'll bring forth a new world. Now that's the demagogue. That's the demagogue who uses hatred, by the way. Hatred. He uses hatred to unify people. And that's the danger of our times. That's the danger of our times. And I tried to do that show. It fell on deaf ears on Wednesday. I tried my best. I try to stop the hatred of China. I try to stop the hatred of the Chinese people. I tried to show you using strict logic that it would not make sense for Chairman Z or President Z to have released this on purpose. But you did. many of you understood it. I don't hear from those who are reasonable. And un See, here's the thing about talk radio. Here's the problem. Those of you who are reasonable and reasoning people generally don't call talk radio. You, you listen passively, but you never call a show. So we get people who are triggered to call radio. And it's usually people who don't like you or disagree with you who call. You know what I'm saying? It's basically like hate mail. In, in one way or another, that's what talk radio basically is, is you get the caller, it's a hate mail caller in one way or another. So you didn't agree with me, many of you, on Twitter. Twitter is the cesspool of, of, the, uh, of the intellect, if you want to call it the intellect. Twitter 
I had many of you sign up to Twitter because I'm on it and I wanted you to follow what I'm saying. But, you know, you see people on Twitter that are the lowest form of humanity. You've got idiots who are barely literate, who, because they can type a few characters on a keyboard, they think they're equal to Albert Einstein or the greatest minds of our generation. They think because they're equal to you in typing a few a few words, they're equal to you. They have no idea about the differential of expertise. They would lecture a surgeon on how to perform surgery. They would lecture a nuclear physicist on physics, just as they would lecture a talk show host on how to deliver a talk show. This is the problem with Twitter. This is the problem with, with uh, uh, you want to call it that? I will. Democracy is a complete failure. Social media has shown us the abject failure of democracy. Do you know that? Pure democracy is total fascism and anarchy at the end of the day. You can't have moronic people in a classroom. I was a teacher once. If you let the morons take over the classroom, nobody learns anything. It was true in a classroom. It's true on talk radio. It's true on Twitter. If you start reading the comments, you could lose your mind. Most of the comments are by complete idiots. They were the kids in the classroom who made noise, who broke things, who caused mayhem just to get attention. And they disrupted everyone else in the classroom. No, you need leadership, whether it's in a classroom or on talk radio. Well, I, I've gone on and on here. We meant to play this great piece. Robert, do we have time for it now or we'll blow out the time on it? Go ahead. Let's, let's listen to what Robert created. He's dying for you to hear it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. I I I, I'm, I I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. No one is in a position where they have a significant financial disability as a consequence of this SARS COVID nine coronavirus. Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that uh, you know was totally different than a. Then the, the it's called he called it the you know the World War Two he had the war the, the War Production Board. Corn Pop was a bad dude. They put me in the hospital and I made it out and so I'm out. None of us want to uh, be uh, cooped up in our homes. So I learned about roaches. Knock it, knock. Sounds corny, but it's real. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down. Daddy, daddy, it's unfair to all of us and it's unnecessary for all of us. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. We can make them whole. Can I see you, Daddy? Kids jumping on my lap. Mask and gowns and mask and all. You gotta, I mean, the... And shields. Why are we waiting? We, the people. Corn pop. We hold these truths. Was a bad dude. Etc. You know the thing. Now, Robert, did you create that? See, that's better than Grabian. I mean, Robert, let's have a round of applause for Robert Borowski. On, on, on the drums. What a great job that was. But that you want that to be president? You know he's just a front man for the evil Democrat machine, and it is evil. It's comprised mainly of gangsters, um, drug dealers, and uh, illegal aliens. That's the Democrat Party. The rest of us are taxpayers. So there is a, a divide in this country. The, the, the idea of the true liberal is dead. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. So you wear the mask in the supermarket. I have some N95s. And what you don't understand is, probably you don't think about it, you're breathing in your own carbon dioxide. I don't know. I think we're going to start seeing older people fainting on the floor of supermarkets soon. I, I gag in the thing. 
I'm marching around aisle to aisle. I'm going down one lane, then the other. I almost crash carts. It's like bumper cars in a supermarket. Between the masks and the hoods and the gloves and the... the as I said, it's like the Phantom of the Opera without, uh, without nice clothing. But uh, you're breathing in CO2 and you get, you get dizzy. I think you're going to have a couple of ulsters go down, down on the floor now from it. Now, what if you're a garlic eater? What if you yourself are... I, I'm not trying to be comedic in the political arena, but what if you're, you like to eat rich foods with garlic in it and you got stuck in the mask inside a market now for a good 45 minutes to, and there's no toilet paper? What are they doing with it? What are these old, anal, retentive women doing with all that toilet paper? It seems they get up in the morning just to get the toilet paper at 7 in the morning, the minute the store opens. Because the time I get there at 8, there's not a roll left. Thank God I don't need it. I don't understand it. And they expect any day, what, they're going to be in the bathroom for the ne- next year? What do they need it all for? And what's going to happen after this thing subsides? What are they going to do with the toilet paper? They're going to like have sales on the street corner like children selling lemonade? Old ladies with tables of toilet paper, a two-for-one job, buy two, get one free, a free salad bar to draw you over to the, to the toilet paper, folding table. It's insane. But these are some of the fun things. If you look at the COVID map, you don't have to be an epidemiologist, an epidemiologist to see where the clusters are, mainly in the big cities that are sanctuary cities, and mainly in the cities with gigantic homeless populations. It's common sense. As in all epidemics, two plus two equals two. Does it? Yeah, if you're a politician. The Westwood One Podcast Network. 